Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. You know our trusted partner, TireRack.com, for their fast, free shipping, free road hazard protection, convenient installation options, and their great selection of best tires, like the highly consumer-rated Michelin Cross Climate 2. But did you know they sell other automotive products? Wheels, brakes, suspension, just to name a few. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts carol g juan gabriel christina aguilera what do these three have in common you mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Straight Fire with Jason McIntyre. What is up, Straight Fire fam? It's me, Jason McIntyre. Straight Fire for Monday, April 25th. NFL Draft Week, everybody. And we have a special guest to commemorate the week of the draft. He is uh, Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. Guy's been covering the draft for them for, I think, five years now. He's really good and polished. We recorded Sunday during NBA playoff games. It was a wacky weekend for us. We, You guys, I'm sure if you follow me on the gram, you know my daughter suffered a broken foot uh, at the heels of our dog, our 80-pound golden retriever. I don't think I've told the story yet. It's not as bad as it sounds, but uh, she was in a weird spot on the ground. The dog jumped off the bed, yada, yada, yada. She did think that the ankle was fine for the longest time, went to soccer practice. There was just a continual like pain, and it wouldn't go away, so we finally checked it out. They're like, oh, yeah. Uh, broken bone in the growth plate. Do you want a cast or a boot? <laughs> it's like, what? Okay. 
So at any rate, so my daughter's down with sports for a little bit, but my son had two soccer games, three basketball games. By the way, fun, exciting at an AAU basketball tournament. How's this one, Rob G? Brandon Jennings. Remember that name? Mr. Double Nickel, right? Yes. Okay. He could get buckets. He also, I think he had something tatted on the on his back. It might have been Young Money or something like that. He uh, he was an awesome guard. He showed up at my son's tournament. I guess he's coaching like a eight under team. And I, I, I mean, people are taking pictures with him. I didn't quite think it was that big of a deal. Also, I got recognized too, by the way, by a couple <laughs> fans. <laughs> I had to toss that in there. It's always funny when I'm sitting with dads from my son's team. And guys walk by and they like do the double take and they're like, hey, I know you from somewhere. And I just kind of shrug my shoulders like, oh, I don't know, who knows? And the dads kind of laugh because they know, oh, yeah, that's that guy who said that outlandish stuff about Russell Westbrook. And no, I'm just kidding. All right. But (laughs) the weekend's in the books. And folks, listen, the NBA playoffs have been pretty hot fire. I think we can all agree. Sunday's games, I don't want to say a letdown. Warriors Nuggets was kind of fun, right? Um I was on the losing end of that one. The Warriors, for some reason, just didn't try for three quarters and thought they could pull it out at the end. Uh, Rob G's guy, Jokic, nice uh, nice job there. I think he had 37 points. Miami Heat destroy the Hawks despite not having Kyle Lowry. And I know nobody really cares about the Miami Heat. There's still like so little interest in this team. When they wipe the floor with Philly next round, there'll be interest. Miami's starting backcourt with Kyle Lowry out was Gabe Vincent... And Max Struess. Okay? Let that settle in. Gabe Vincent and Max Struess. And they won by 30 in ATL. Jimmy Butler, 36 points. But the big story for the NBA over the weekend was what on earth is amiss with the Brooklyn Nets? Who fall down 0-3 to the Boston Celtics. Game 4 tonight. You know, I don't think anybody at all had... After the first round of the playoffs, LeBron at home, Anthony Davis at home, Kawhi Leonard at home, Paul George at home, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving. Honestly, that's probably six of the top 15 players in the league. And the Nets down 0-3. It's a bit of a stunner that they're down 0-3, that they haven't won one friggin' game yet. But all these people, of course, coming after me on social media. You said the Nets after the trade were going to win the championship. Yeah, I, I did. When they got Ben Simmons. Yeah, I was like, okay. And then shortly thereafter, oh, Joe Harris is done for the season. What, he's not coming back? And then shortly after that, yeah, Ben Simmons has a back problem. And you're like, oh, wait a minute. That's two-fourths, two-fifths of their starting lineup. Done? Oh, wait a sec. And then you watch them and you're like, ooh. And then you watch them against Cleveland. You're like, what? And I said here on the pod after that play-in game, yeah, this, this team's in trouble. I'm picking Boston. You could just see it. It just was not happening for Brooklyn. And obviously, people are going to go after Steve Nash. I will do no such thing. I will I, I will wait for Steve Nash to get his walking papers. I don't think it's going to be the worst thing in the world for him. He gets his money. He gets to come be with his family out here on the left coast. I have a good. I have a Kyrie wa- uh, Nash whopper for you that you guys will love. But I'm not going to. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say that until after they do Nash dirty. He can't be to blame, guys. You can't sit here and say Steve Nash is the root. The rotations stop. They had never had a chance. Not when Kyrie Irving refused to get vaccinated, ruined the season. As some will point out, the Nets were on top of the Eastern Conference. Number one seed with Kevin Durant early and James Harden. But there is some, oh, wait a minute, to that. The Milwaukee Bucks were coming off the championship and they were clearly not as locked in 
You know, they're a great regular season team. The Chicago Bulls were coming in hot, but you knew that couldn't last. That was just early hotness that couldn't last. Miami added Kyle Lowry. Bam Adebayo goes down. Took Miami a little bit to, to warm up. And then the Boston Celtics had, had kicked Brad Stevens upstairs. They had a new coach. Remember, there was a lot of issues with the new coach early. He was calling out the players. A lot of people were saying, hey, is this guy, is this guy even going to make it in Boston? So the Nets took advantage of that with Harden. Then Kyrie comes back and all hell went out the window. It was a disaster. And folks, I think the big takeaway from this first round series, watching Kevin Durant struggle mightily, is that Kevin Durant, an all-time great player, was on a trajectory to be top 10 all-time, maybe top 7 or 8. That's how good he was when he went to Golden State. The trajectory was, this is an all-time great player. He basically ruined his career, leaving Steph Curry and the Warriors to go partner with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. Now, I know the injury, obviously the Achilles injury in the finals, that was devastating and crippling and kind of changed Durant's future a little bit. He has to sit out a year. He comes back, and obviously Kevin Durant is a superstar against the Bucs in that playoff series. But Kyrie Irving gets hurt, as he is wont to do in the playoffs. KD's left to fend with a hamstring hurting James Harden, and Kevin Durant cannot, cannot pull it off. They lose Game 7 in overtime at home. And next thing you know, you're on to your next season, and then you've got the COVID stuff with Kyrie and the vaccination and James Harden. And, uh, and this is sad to see. Kevin Durant ruined his career. He did. This is a guy, and I, I'm not saying his career is tarnished, but the trajectory he was on was, this guy's a top 10 player all time. He is correct. Kevin Durant unstoppable. So much has happened in the last year. And it all started when he went to join forces with Kyrie Irving. You don't leave Steph Curry to go play with Kyrie Irving. I mean, people are going to say, oh, Nets next year, that's the team to pick. Are we sure? Are we sure? Kyrie Irving is Mr. Unreliable. It's always something with this guy, whether it's hurt in the playoffs, whether it's unhappy with management or the coach or, or whatever's going on. Like, he cannot be counted on to be your number two. I have been a Ben Simmons guy through and through forever. I, I've stopped defending him because it has ended up so poorly for me. Okay. Ben Simmons hasn't played a basketball game since they were ousted last year in game seven. He's got the back issues. Back issues are scary. They've ruined many a career. Go ask Larry Bird. Ben Simmons still cannot shoot. This is a lost season for him. He's now in a new franchise. This idea that he's going to come back and it's going to be awesome. All right. I mean, if you guys say so. But we're counting on two guys who, for the last two years, have been completely unreliable. Completely. Like, I, I just, at this stage, I don't know what Kevin Durant can do, Rob, to fix his career. Does he have to leave Brooklyn? I don't think you can leave Brooklyn. What I, I don't know what the solution is, but Kevin Durant right now, he's in a bad place, man. Uh, I think that's an understatement, Jason, <laughs> to say he's in a bad place. I mean, they're on the verge of getting swept out of the postseason when they were considered the odds-on favorite to win the championship as recently as, like, two months ago. <laughs> like, th they weren't good at all, and people were still making them the favorites to win the championship. Um, a quick devil's advocate, though, on your Kevin Durant take. If he stays in Golden State, he loses the season anyway because of the torn Achilles. 
Clay Thompson misses two seasons. Last year, I would argue that Nets team was much better than the Warriors team, even if KD is on the Warriors. Well, wait, wait, wait. Hold up, hold up. Last year's Warriors team. So you have no Clay. You have Curry because he was phenomenal, almost got mm-hmm. him to the playoffs yep. by himself. Curry, KD, Draymond, and nothing else. Curry, KD, Draymond. What else mm-hmm. do you? What else do you need? Well, I mean, look at the the Nets had Kyrie, Harden, and KD, and unfortunately, Harden and Kyrie got hurt at the exact same time. So, you know, that's just unfortunate the way it goes. Um, Kevin Durant to me is still a top ten player. I think you're right though that the chances of him reaching that seven eight pinnacle you know, passing a Larry Bird or someone like that. It's probably out the window now because he's at the stage in his career where he'd have to rack up at least two more rings. And I don't see him being able to do that. Um, It's just, it's, I don't want to give Kevin Durant a pass because he has been terrible in this series, especially by his standards. 10 points, 10 turnovers, when guarded straight up by Jason Tatum. Okay, only two baskets in the last three games against Tatum. Total two for 15 wow. shooting. I saw like, a stat that he has 17 baskets and 13 turnovers. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah, he, he's been terrible. And, and, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. He's been terrible. Unfortunately for him, to your point, Kyrie Irving has one good quarter through three games. The fourth quarter one, of game one, right? One good quarter. Yeah. Since then, he's been terrible. Um, they have no wings to speak of whatsoever. Uh, Andre Drummond is the oldest 28-year-old I've ever seen, okay? Blake Griffin, who who can, what, barely get over the rim these days, <laughs> provided them like nine minutes of instant offense. Oh, like, that's how bad things were for them yeah. in game three. So their, their roster is in flux, but to your point, as soon as Joe Harris and, and Ben Simmons come back next season healthy, which we I, I'm assuming that's going to happen, you know, Ben Simmons has been out for 16 months, and, and his back still is a problem. So we'll see exactly what's going on with him. But if they're healthy... Between them and the Clippers, they got to be the two favorite teams next season. Assuming, well, health. I mean, it's just such a big asterisk. And again, the healthy stuff—I hate that we have to throw that in there, Rob. But with Devin Booker down, the Suns look pretty mortal. Yes, I mean the Bucks have looked fine against the Bulls without Middleton. I don't know how they're going to go next round if they don't have Middleton against Boston, because Robert Williams is back for Boston. You look around the league, like Luka Doncic is back. Oh, by the way, his first game back, he just drops thirty, and what looked to be the game winner until a meltdown late by the Mavs on Saturday. But injuries have been huge. So on paper, sure, I'll give it to you. Simmons, Durant, and Kyrie. Sure, on paper. History, especially if two of those guys said otherwise. I do want to go back to your uh, what-if moment on the Warriors and that play-in team. So I'm looking at the box score and the Lakers beat them 103-100. They had Draymond, Kent Bazemore. (laughs) Now, Andrew Wiggins, he would not have been there if they kept KD, right? No. Okay. Although, actually, they had, well... No, because they, they made the KD the for Russell Rus- trade right. and then Russell for Wiggins, okay. so no. So, Kevon Looney, Curry, JTA, baby, Toscano <laughs> Anderson. Uh, I don't know what happened to him. Um, I, maybe he was on the roster. I didn't see him in the in the, um, in the game. So, Sunday. riding a lot of bench. Riding, so a, lot this, of bench. riding a lot of bench. He's hanging out with Steph Curry. That's all that matters, really. Um, <laughs> and they had Jordan Poole and Michael Mulder from the X-Files. Um but Jordan Poole, he played 26 minutes in that playing game, had 10 points. I don't know if he would have popped the way he has now if KD had stayed. But Curry keeps get Curry has injuries. Everybody has injuries. I just it's it's just so weird for me to ex- still accept that someone would willingly leave such a great player in Steph Curry 
a consummate pro, a reliable superstar. I mean, why are you leaving him nearly at the height of his powers to go and play with Kyrie Irving? It was, oh, I, I still, I could get him on this podcast if he would do it. And whatever he said, I would still not really grasp it. Would you? No. Nothing, but, nothing okay. would make sense. Actually, no, you know what? I would. And, and here's the thing. All of the shit that he took, not from you, but from other people in sports media for going to the Warriors in the first place, it's kind of like if he didn't win away from them, it was going to hang over him like a dark cloud. But now the opposite is true. Can he win a title without Steph Curry? Now he's created a really bad narrative. Nobody bought the, uh, he, he, uh, Russell Westbrook, he needs Westbrook. Nobody bought that crap. Westbrook is a ball hog. He had to get away from Westbrook. But now there is like a, I mean, it's, it's a feasible question. Can Kevin Durant win without Steph Curry? I, I don't totally buy that, but it's a legitimate question when they can't get to the conference finals last year and this year they lose in the first round. Right, Rob? It's a fair question to ask at this stage in his career. No? Yeah. yeah I mean, the problem is that the context, like these, these injuries have been so... But before, when they had James Harden and Kyrie Irving, people were calling that the greatest trio of all time. Like when they I were mean, on the on court paper, together, wait, wait, on no, no, no. Paper, when, they, right? when they played together, was it like 15 games or whatever it was their first season? They had the highest offensive rating in NBA history. 15 games. Whatever it was, because you couldn't stop them. They were so, they were incredible. And then all it took was Kyrie. This all goes back to Kyrie. Kyrie's, you know, vac status pissing off James Harden. Uh, Kyrie getting to become a part-time player, which again, pissed off James Harden. He leaves. Kyrie Irving's only a part-time player. Ruins the chemistry of the team, whatever chemistry they did have. You're so top heavy with three guys that as soon as Kevin Durant went hurt, got hurt, you had nothing left on your roster to supplement because Joe Harris is hurt. And it just all fell apart from there. And since then, you know, when Kyrie came back and KD came back, they don't have any chemistry whatsoever. And Steve Nash is not a good coach, but they didn't bring him in to be a good coach. They brought him in to just kind of hang out with the fellas. Kyrie told us much <laughs> whenever man, he was when manage, he was right? What yeah. did Kyrie say on the on the on like the Instagram live before like we he don't said, even need uh, a coach? We're gonna change the way people view coaches. We don't view Steve as a head coach. You know, maybe I'm a head coach. Uh, KD's a coach. He says Jock Vaughn's a head coach. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at the salaries out. for the Nets next year. Obviously, Kevin Durant. Kyrie has the player option, thirty six mil, thirty six point nine. I mean, I can't envision him declining it and walking away from basketball, but that has to be on the table, Rob. That has to be on the. I, he's so unreliable and random. Nothing would surprise me with Kyrie if he said, I'm walking away, or if he signed uh, whatever max deal is that he could possibly get. Ben Simmons has a lucrative deal. Joe Harris has two more years. Seth Curry has one. Patty Mills has a player option for six mil. Now, if you're Patty Mills and you just sat through that season with a knucklehead like Kyrie Irving, does Patty Mills want to be like, yo, can I get to LA? Can I go somewhere? Can I, can I get out of the sage-burning locker room? I, maybe Patty Mills. Got a question for you. If you're Joe Sy, who's the guy who runs the Nets, do you offer Kyrie Irving the max contract? I think it's like four years, 200 or something like that. I, I don't. That's... You almost have to, right? Like, you, you know, you're kind of. Well, I mean, there have to be contingencies, right? You're giving a guy 200 million. You don't know what he's going to do. Well, then you do. can't. Then you do go say, I'm only giving you one year or two and years. These, yeah, but these NBA contracts are guaranteed, right? Yes. Yeah. So. I mean, you, if you sign that deal, you're giving him 200 mil unless he quits. And he might just be like, I remember this is a guy who said, I need mental health days. And it was not just like one or two. It was just like, he was just doing it frequently. Remember this? Yes. Like, 
and I'm, I get it. We all need mental health days. But Kyrie Irving seemed to be abusing it. And then you got another guy, Ben Simmons, who a lot of people think was abusing. I don't, I don't want to go there. But the other guys, Bruce Brown, by the way, free agent. Now, I don't know if somebody's going to overpay him or he likes it in New York. LaMarcus Aldridge, Blake Griffin, free agent, free agent. Andre Drummond, is somebody going to pay him? Nick, Nick Claxton, somebody's got to pay him. So this, uh, listen, I think you and I would agree that when the Lakers uprooted their roster, bouncing everybody after they lost in the first round of the Suns, after the AD injury, in hindsight, it looks like a dumb move, right? They had just won the title the year yes. prior. They did not need to bounce everybody. They were frustrated, and yeah, you got to ship Danny Green, and we got to download Kuzma, and blah, 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 blah. If you are the Nets, you have to retool half your roster because at least Brown, Aldridge, Griffin, Drummond, Claxton, that's five guys right there, pretty pivotal. I mean, Patty Mills could walk away. I don't know that it's going to be that easy to find guys. Remember, finding guys to play with LeBron, not really a problem. Finding guys to want to play with Steph Curry, yeah, I'll go ride that bench and get a, get a ring. Finding guys to play with Kyrie Irving, Rob, <laughs> is that a tough sell? There's a little bit. Let's of be real. Is that a tough sell? Yeah, at that point, you're selling Kevin Durant. You're not selling Kyrie Irving. Yeah, but Kyrie's there, and he's the one who brought Kevin Durant there. I mean, Durant made such a catastrophic mistake. And again, I want to be clear before we get to our NFL draft analyst. I am rooting for Kevin Durant. Not really rooting for Kyrie Irving, but I, I'm rooting for Durant. I like him. I've always been a fan. He's a tremendous basketball player. I hope he comes out of the East next year, gets to the finals. I just, I don't really see it with Kyrie Irving, who's not a winning basketball player. All right, let's get to our guest. He is at Pro Football Focus. He's got a lock on the top of the draft. You guys are going to absolutely love this. He started a podcast with Aiden Hutchinson. Pretty cool series. His name is Austin Gale from Pro Football Focus. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort, performance tires for sporty handling, all-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of general tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their general tire, test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing! I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. 
Christina Aguilera. Ex-Tina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph! Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray, rock the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. You know a guy. Jason likes to think he knows everything when it comes to sports. I know what sports fans want. But for everything he doesn't, he knows a guy who does. Let's just say I know a guy who knows a guy who knows another guy. All right, let's welcome into Straight Fire. It's NFL Draft Week, so we got to go with a draft guy who knows his stuff. This guy's been at PFF for, I believe, five years now. He did a podcast with Aiden Hutchinson, the likely number one pick. Austin Gale, pro football focused. Austin, how you doing, man? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, listen, it's draft week. Uh, Obviously, I've followed a lot of the stuff. I didn't follow the Aiden Hutchinson podcast series as closely as I should. Apparently, Aiden Hutchinson comes from such a difficult background. You know, it's one of these, he's overcome so many odds. Yeah, and you have a great relationship with him, right? 
Yeah, Aiden has been awesome throughout this process. So we did a four-part podcast series. It's about four hours of content, really looking at his upbringing and you know his early years at Michigan. And a lot of the podcast, at least half of it, is going over this past season, right? A, a storied season for the University of Michigan football program, um, one where they weren't even ranked in the top 25 on the Associated Press poll. So kind of taking on some of that like doubt, you know, there's a bit of a chip on the shoulder of Aiden and David Ajabo, Cade McNamara, even Harbaugh, right? Harbaugh took a pay cut before this season and goes out and beats Ohio State, you know, wins the Big Ten title and all that stuff. So I do think it's a phenomenal podcast going game by game with their their best player, but it's also a good insight on what could be the number one overall pick. Yeah. What do you make of this late Trayvon Walker push? I'll be honest. I do mock drafts, Austin, for Fox Sports pretty much year round. Trayvon mm-hmm. Walker was never in the discussion for top five, top 10 at all during the season. He didn't even pop to me as a defender on Georgia, but then you get into the postseason where it's like, oh, let's measure this guy up. Let's put him in the spandex. Let's see how he tests, and he's off the charts, and now Trayvon Walker might go two. There is some scuttlebutt for one, but it seems to me like maybe that's just to try to add intrigue to the top of the draft. Yeah, well, anytime a player his size, right, six foot five, two seventy two, tests as close as he did to Miles Garrett, it's gonna it's gonna raise people up, right? A lot of people are gonna be interested in Trayvon Walker now, and I think you go back and look at his production profile at Georgia, he's just an inexperienced player. Like he's played a third of the snaps that Aiden Hutchinson has had in his career. He's played a third that Kayvon Thibodeau has, and you know a lot of people will be betting on his projection in the NFL because literally he's one of one in terms of athletic, you know, athletic build and measurables and those types of things, 35 and a half inch arms. He is exactly what you'd build if you were building an edge defender in a lab. The only issue is, or one of the pressing issues is, is he hasn't performed at the top like an Aiden Hutchinson has or a Kayvon Thibodeau or even, you know, George Karloftis of Purdue. But, you know, another reason why I think there is buzz at number one overall, in addition to the measurables, in addition to what he could be in the NFL, is this relationship Trent Balky has with Jim Harbaugh, right? Does Balky want to draft his wonder boy there at Michigan after the, you know, obviously the relationship between Harbaugh and Balky isn't great. I think that's another thing that's driving, you know, Balky's consideration of Walker over Hutchinson. It's also like this bet on upside, right? It's a bet on, you know, the percentage chance Trayvon Walker maybe develops into a Hall of Famer, maybe is a bit higher than Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau, surely because he has the build of a Miles Garrett. His closest athletic comp is Miles Garrett. Now, does he have near the production profile that Garrett had coming out of Texas A&M? Absolutely not. He also didn't play anywhere near the same amount of snaps at edge that Aiden and Kayvon Thibodeau has. He played a lot of head up inside the tackle alignments. He was playing mostly on the inside on passing down. So he's going to play a completely different position in the NFL that he played at Georgia and didn't even play that position that much either. So it's interesting to see the teams flock to him, but it's going to, it's going to be a bet, right? It's a bet on Walker getting a lot better. It's a bet on Walker playing a different position and succeeding in it. And it could be the bet that bulky wants to make just knowing the relationship he has with Harbaugh and also just his bet on you know measurables, right? Long arms, athletic, all that stuff. I don't know. I was reading about Walker. He was, on, they put him on special teams when he got to Georgia, right? I, I mean, the rotation at, at Georgia's deep. And, you know, he's a great basketball player, so he has all these traits. But if you haven't delivered at all, to, should you really go number one? What is your gut telling you here a few days before the draft? I would 100% take either Aiden Hutchinson or Kayvon Thibodeau at number one overall over Trayvon Walker. That's what I would do. However, I do think that there's legitimate smoke and possibly fire here that the Jacksonville Jaguars are interested in Trayvon Walker. Because something that doesn't get brought up a ton with Walker, too, is the work ethic. Like, he is a high-character kid. He's talked to one of our analysts here at PFF, Trevor Sikkim, multiple times. And every single time you come away with an interview from Trayvon Walker, it's a guy that's willing to do whatever it takes to be successful. He just hasn't played a lot of football, right? He has not played the same amount of football 
football that Aiden has or Kayvon has. And that upward trajectory is something to bet on. Would I bet on it at number one overall when there are other really talented, highly athletic players like Aiden and Kayvon at the top? Probably not. But it also speaks to just this class in general, right? In tier one for me, the edge defenders go Aiden Hutchinson, Kayvon Thibodeau, then Walker, then George Carlottis of Purdue. All in that same tier. There's not these massive gaps in this draft class at edge and wide receiver. So it is going to be kind of a pick your flavor, what you want to bet on. And honestly, if your coaching staff there in Jacksonville says we can get the maximum potential out of Trayvon Walker, mm-hmm. I think you're smart to make that bet. So interesting. You have Carl Laftis there. A lot of other mocks have Jermaine Johnson, the kid out of FSU. Now he's a little bit on the older side. I had a guest on last week, Tony Pauline, who didn't seem to think the age mattered as much. I don't know, 23 years old, Carl Laftis obviously a veteran, and he says all the right things, the work ethic is there, but is that a big decision for you? You know, age isn't as big of a concern with Johnson as much as his production profile is. Like he did not, you know, people talk about Trayvon Walker not producing at Georgia. Jermaine Johnson didn't either. And people immediately look at the sack production and how that, you know, that's such a limited percent of plays, right? People are like, oh, eight sacks, nine sacks. That's nine of the 800 snaps he played. And when you look at, you know, looking at pro football focus numbers, he doesn't have a high pass rush win rate. And he had to transfer from Georgia to Florida State to play, right? He was behind Trayvon Walker and and all these guys there playing at Georgia. Georgia. And even when he played at Florida state, his pressure rates are not among the best in this class. I don't see him as a tier one edge. And I'm honestly shocked that he's like a near lock to go in the top 10 right now. I think DraftKings has his prop at nine and a half. So with Jermaine, he has risen in this class, good athletic profile and dominated the senior bowl. I think he was the best prospect there. Now, two days at the senior bowl and good athleticism. That's not enough for me to put him in the top 10, knowing <laughs> his production profile, but I still can see why he's rising up boards. age, not a big concern, but when I bring up age in draft evaluation, it's not so much, Oh man, I don't want to draft a player who's 24 years old. He's, you know, he's past his curve or whatever. It's more that how are you 23 years old at Florida state? not absolutely dominating against 19, 20 year old kids. Like you are past your maturity prime. Like you are developed when you compare to other prospects in this class, like Tyler Smith of Tulsa, he played all of last year at 20 years old and it was dominant, dominant in the group of five. So I do think that's where age comes up for me. Interesting. Um, let's go to cornerback real quick. I saw you had put this tweet out on Sunday and this is the kind of stuff you guys get at PFF that you just don't see this at ESPN and other places. Top three coverages by snaps played for cornerbacks. Stingley in the cover one, quarters cover three, Sauce Gardner, and Trent McDuffie. I'm just curious, Austin, based on what you see mm-hmm. in the NFL, how is there even a Stingley-Gardner discussion or is it not? No, there's definitely a Stingley Gardner discussion. I I, I personally feel that Stingley is the number one cornerback in this class. And I don't see Gardner as that, but they're both the tier one. And I think a reason why I think Stingley and Gardner go off the board in the first seven picks is because I don't think this cornerback class is particularly deep. Like I I do think that the giants are going to come away out of their five and seven picks in this draft with one of those guys. It's either going to be Gardner or Stingley. I guarantee it, especially with how I think the edge class is going to fall to them. I think Aiden, Trayvon Walker, these guys are going to come off the board before the giants even picking at five. So with Stingley, why I see him as the number one player, go back to his pro day. This guy has not trained a ton. He's recovering from injury and effortlessly jumps 38 inches. His broad jump in the 90th percentile. And it doesn't look like he's using proper technique. This guy is <laughs> such a seamless athlete and did something. You bring up age at 18 years old, true freshman in the SEC in 2019. I don't think we'll ever see again. Like I do not think what Derek Stingley did as a true freshman at LSU, we will ever see again. I'm betting on that trajectory. And as for Gardner, another really good tier one corner. They're right up there in the top 10 among players in this class for me. Gardner, 
is exactly how you'd build a press corner in the NFL. And he has that experience. You bring up that tweet, plays a ton of cover one and a ton of cover three, and he plays press the whole way through. Nick Saban, one of the best coaches of all time, put a game plan together to make sure Gardner could not play press. A lot of bunch, a lot of you know trips on one side, and that forced him into off-zone coverages and allowed them to matriculate down the football field. They did not want to throw at Gardner in press coverage. And when you dictate what Saban wants to do, that's obviously high praise. So I'm a Jets fan. Robert Salah from the Niners comes over, brings his defense. It's great. Doesn't have any good cornerbacks. They get torched last year. Do you think Sauce Gardner fits what they want to do defensively? Press coverage, cover one, cover three? Because I think this is the, the slam dunk pick for the Jets at four. Otherwise, he's going to be gone. You know, For a while, it was like, oh, maybe they'll get him at 10. There's no chance of that now. My question is a lot of the draft people, when I put this on social media, they go, no, no chance. They're not going there. They're not doing that. They need an edge rusher. What are your thoughts on Gardner at four to the Jets? I have two thoughts there. One, I do think it's a fit for what Salah wants to do on defense, but I know Salah and the Jets do not prioritize cornerback that highly in terms of positional value, right? Like it's not a position that they see as, you know, they want to attack the trenches in the top five. It's offensive tackle, it's edge, and if not, it's quarterback. And two, I think Sauce Gardner is off the board by four. I think the Houston Texans, I think the Houston Texans or the Detroit Lions are going to take Sauce Gardner. There are multiple teams, multiple evaluators I've talked to that see him as the number one player in this class. If Aiden Hutchinson does go one. Do not rule out Garner going two to the Lions. And then regardless of what happens at one and two, I think Garner goes to Houston. Wait, Austin, didn't the Lions just draft the kid out of Ohio State? His name escapes me. He's been Jeffrey injured. Okuda. Okuda. Loved him coming out. He's been injured. He didn't add a brutal uh, – I think PFF said he was like the worst cornerback yeah. in the league as a rookie. He was brutal, and then he gets hurt. They're not taking another one in the top four. No chance, right? I, I think there's a chance, man. I really do. He's a Detroit, Michigan native that's one of the most productive cornerbacks in this class, and he's done it for three years straight at Cincinnati. And I don't think – you know, as much as like on the outside looking in, we look at, oh, man, Detroit already took a corner and it failed – a lot of teams don't think that way, right? And this is a new regime with Dan Campbell and all that kind of stuff. So I don't necessarily think they're going to rule it out just because of Akuda. And you talk to a lot of people in the building, there's still hope that Akuda bounces back. He's obviously suffered injuries and all that kind of stuff. I think Gardner is going to be in consideration for the Detroit Lions at number two overall. Now, of course, they're still going to consider Kayvon Thibodeau. If Aiden Hutchinson there is at two, I think that will be a priority. But I don't think you should rule out Gardner at two or even Gardner at three to the Houston Texans. Yeah, I'm trying. I, I when I do my mocks, I try to get in the mind of the GMs, and I think of the the guy um, making the pick. Obviously, it's not going to be Dan Campbell, but you know he comes over from the Rams. What have the Rams prioritized? Just trenches, 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 especially defensively. And I look at Detroit. I'm like, yeah, they, the pressure rates are not great. They're, they're going to definitely go somewhere on the defensive line uh, at the top of the draft. They, right? Isn't that kind of feel the need for Detroit? Yeah, I think so. I know that a lot of people in the building really like the Aquara brothers, though. They both have Julian and Romeo Aquara there, and I think they want to see them have, you know, take the field this year. That's not going to keep them from taking Aiden Hutchinson if he's there, but it could make it a consideration if Hutch goes one and there's Thibodeau and Gardner on the board. I, I do think it's more of a conversation than people think. And especially, I mean, I'm not, he's from Detroit, and that's a part of it. You know, everyone's like, oh, Aiden Hutchinson at two, keep him in Michigan. You have to do it. There's another player in this class that is from Michigan that I'm sure teams, you know, obviously the Detroit Lions would like to have on the uniform. So I, I think Garner's definitely in the conversation. Would they lean edge? 
possibly when it's all said and done. I think right now, Kayvon Thibodeau is the betting favorite to be the number two overall pick. I just don't think it should be out of the conversation, right? And as for Houston, Houston is sitting there at three with needs at every single position. And if they don't want to go offensive tackle, knowing that they have Laramie Tunsil and they are not making him available via trade, maybe they do prioritize a position group in this class that's so shallow. Like after Stingley and Gardner, I don't love McDuffie in that same tier. I don't love Kyrie Elam or Andrew Booth in that same tier. I really do think it's those two and then a pretty, a pretty big drop off to the next group. Well, that for me, not to bring it back to the Jets, but, uh, you know, like they pick up Reed in free agency from Seattle and he's definitely not a one. He's a two. You don't have a one in the building. There's none available in free agency. If you don't get Gardner, it's a shallow class at quarterback. You're going to get lit up again. Yeah. I don't Not to make it all about what's your team, by the way, do you have a team that you're like a favorite uh, that you follow for a long time? Or? Yeah, I'm from Oakland, California, so I'm a big Raiders fan. Interesting. All right. Well, Raiders are on on the uptick for sure. Uh, <laughs> they've kind of crushed the draft, but uh, given Devontae Adams, they don't have any picks here. Uh, all right. The other guy, I want to go back to Thibodeau. How do you decipher fact from fiction with all this, he doesn't love football, look at all these outside interests and all this nonsense? I usually chalk it up as nothing, but recently I, I, I did drop him a little bit in the mock draft when you look at some of the odds and how they've shifted. Your thoughts on Kayvon? I think a lot of this stuff is ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, it's media driven. And if it's not media driven, it's being driven by teams. that want him to fall to their pick. Honestly, like I don't think the Thibodeau off the field, you know, mentality and personality is actually pushing him off boards. There's a reason he's the betting favorite to go number two overall, right? Like I think a lot of people are higher on Kayvon Thibodeau than say the media has done. Excellent work has been done on Kayvon Thibodeau. The ringers, Kalen Jones has written two, written two features on Thibodeau that detail that sports illustrated. Greg Bishop just wrote a fantastic, feature on actually what's going on with Kayvon Thibodeau. What's intimidating about him is he has a plan and he has a mindset to maximize his value and maximize his brand. Now, to the defensive coordinators like Dean Pease who like ridicule people who use computers, yeah, that's going to be intimidating, right? But like a lot of like new age coaches, new age defensive coordinators will completely wholesale understand. And like compare him to Aiden Hutchinson. I did a podcast with Aiden Hutchinson. This guy's throwing out the first pitch at the Detroit Tigers game. Like they can have off-field interests. I honestly think that this is such a media-driven yeah. disaster that Kayvon Thibodeau is right to, to feel a little bit criticized wrongfully. And I think he's had some of those conversations in his you know, press conference at the Combine and some of the feature work that's been done on him. I think he should be in consideration at one, honestly. Like, the Jacksonville really? Jaguars should not be ruling out Kayvon Thibodeau. I know Balky recently said it's between four players. I think Thibodeau should be in that discussion. Um, and the draft odds are weird because – you know, somebody will say something, whether it's someone in a major network or there'll be draft buzz that's leaked out, and the odds will shift. Now, the the, the betting limits are very low, so it's not like they're taking, you know, $10,000 bets on, on you know, who's yeah. going number two in the draft. But it's weird because when the negative stuff leaks out, it's anonymous, right? But when the profiles come out, those are, I'm pretty sure, planted, right, by the agent. Hey, let's go to Sports Illustrated. Let's go to The Ringer. Would you agree with that? I think so. I mean, I think a lot of it's not it's – not, uncommon for negative discourse to be from unnamed AFC executives and unnamed <laughs> sources within the league. And I, I also think for Thibodeau specifically, like people have brought up that he has his own cryptocurrency. People brought up that he has his own discord channel and all this stuff, like throw that out the window. The worst thing on Thibodeau is people say effort concerns. Like everyone who's saying that, like, show me the plays, show yeah. me the plays, give me the timestamps and put your name to that because I don't see it. I don't see it. I watched every single play. I, I don't see the effort concerns. I think those are BS. And again, only people, 
people touting those are unnamed sources. I think there needs to be more accountability in this process. Like the pre-draft process has gotten to the point where we're willing to take a quote from any unnamed AFC South coach to a point where it's just like driving me crazy. You put it off long enough, it's time to replace your tires. Tire Rack has tires that will elevate your drive. Touring tires for commuter comfort, performance tires for sporty handling, all-terrain tires for on- and off-road adventure. Go to TireRack.com to get started. Not sure where to begin? Use the Tire Decision Guide to get a personalized tire recommendation. The right tires for how, what, and where you drive. Choose from the full line of Bridgestone tires. Ship fast and free to a recommended installer near you. Or choose the convenience of mobile tire installation. They'll bring your new tires to your home or office and install them on site. Doesn't get much easier than that. Go to TireRack.com slash Colin to see their Bridgestone test results, tire ratings, and consumer reviews, and be sure to check out all their current special offers. Great tires, great deal. What more could you ask for? That's TireRack.com slash Colin. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Juan Gabriel. Juan Selena. Selena. Celia Cruz. Azúcar. Carol G. La Bichota. Christina Aguilera. Extina. Just to name a few. We're serving the whole story. From rags to riches. And all the tea in between. I'm Liliana Vasquez. And I'm Joseph Carrillo. And we're the host of Becoming an Icon Season 2. Guess who's back in the house? And we're bringing you even more stories behind the world's biggest stars in Latin music. Certified Latin royalty. Consider us your star sleuths, your chisme besties, digging beneath los mejores éxitos to bring you everything you didn't know about your favorite Latin icons. Hey, you know what, my boo? You're my favorite icon. Aw, Joseph. Listen to Becoming an Icon, part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley, and recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slammed dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry, back to Iguodala, up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. 
We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're talking tea, we're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Here are some examples of what you'll hear from us on Rappaport's reality podcast. This is where we discuss all things reality TV, all things popular culture. And a little bit of... Rappaport's reality, the reality of bit. us. We're a figuring out. And if we had been recording these last four or five days, Ooh. it, it would have been, Ooh, a, been the podcast would have taken a, a, a left turn. Listen to Rappaport's reality with me, Kibi Rappaport. And me, Michael Rappaport on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. I have been bullish on Traylon Burks uh, throughout the process. But again, we had a guest last week who kind of was really, really down on Burks. And, you know, there's other scuttlebutt that he may drop out of the first round. Again, I don't know if this is misinformation in hopes that you know, Burks falls to X team, you know, Jerry Jones, Lovick and Arkansas guy, whatever. But I don't, where are you on Burks right now? I, I am lower on Burks than probably the media consensus. I think the consensus has him around a top 20 player. I see him more in like that 30 to 40 range, but don't oh. see him falling out of the first round. He's six foot two, 225, and a true 225. I talked to him earlier in the year. He's been up to 230, 235. He said people were making jokes at him in the locker room saying he's got to drop some weight, and he did. Like, this is not, this is a guy that's actually really well built really explosive and has one of the best flying twenties in the, in, in this draft class. And the flying 20 is important when you talk about long speed and him creating separation on these longer routes that we've seen, you know, that big uh, go route he has against Texas A&M and all that kind of stuff. The concerns I have with Burks are usage. And I talked to his head coach, Sam Pittman there at Arkansas. And he says his best role is the slot, put him in the slot and let him eat the short and intermediate levels of the football field and let him make plays after catch. You put him on the outside limited route tree. His three cone is one of the, one of the worst in the class. Like you're not going to ask him to run the full route tree as x or z receiver put him in the slot let him play the power slot role and let him eat you know after the catch i mean 43 percent of his receptions came within nine yards of the line of scrimmage over his career because he's so good with the ball in his hands i think you can leverage him that way teams that want him to be this true alpha one and you know i've seen comparisons to debo samuel in the back like that's just just throw those out the window i think his best usage in the nfl will be in the slot that doesn't mean you can't leverage him on the outside but when Pittman, you know Pittman told me he's like if we saw press coverage we were calling a go and we we're throwing to Traylon burks and if we didn't see press coverage and he was on the outside he was running a slant it was a very simple game and i think that's how teams should view him it's a guy that has a very specific skill set with a desirable frame and desirable athleticism and if that's a role in your offense you probably take him in the 25 to 35 range interesting so if you don't like any of the debo samuel comps and they're a little ridiculous but frame wise even you know kind of you could see some maybe if you squinted you could see a little bit of debo but if not debo who, who do you like in in a comp for burks this might be a death knell, but I, I do see a lot of comparisons to LaVisca Chanel Jr., who I know has not had a lot of success in Jacksonville, right. but very similar frame, very similar skill set. And that LaVisca Chanel Jr. at Colorado, ugly route tree, unpolished in that regard. But when you get the ball in his hands, he was fantastic. And I do think that Jacksonville has somewhat misused him in the disaster that was Urban Meyer. And I think <laughs> now with Traylon Burks, you put him in the slot and you let him work. And I think he's a better outside receiver than what LaVisca was coming out. More polished, could beat press a little bit better, a little bit of a better frame, bigger hands, all that stuff. I still think, however, that's going to be his best usage. Use him in the slot, target him at and behind the line of scrimmage and let him work after the catch. And if you're looking for dominant outside receivers in this class, that's 
that's your Garrett Wilson. That's your Chris Olave. Those are guys that can actually win from the X and the Z that are running the full route tree, right? Jamison Williams, I hold in that regard as well. Um, Drake London, you did not mention. I know someone out here uh, who works with me at Fox who's working with London uh, out here at, at UCLA and raving about Drake London's amazing. And then, you know, you see some of the numbers, like he's great at contested catches, but can he get separation? Uh, is that why he's contested all these contested catches? And can he make those, you know, in, in the Pac-12 versus in the NFL? Where are you on Drake London? So Drake London, for me, you bring up comparisons. I honestly think the best comparison from a usage and stylistic comp perspective is Michael Thomas. He's a bigger than Michael Thomas. I get that. Wow. Michael oh, Thomas is not a vertical threat receiver. He's not a guy you line up on the outside for 100% of his routes and you push him down the field. Michael Thomas plays roughly half of his snaps in the slot and his best routes are what? The intermediate route tree, the slants, the, the stuff underneath, the crossers. And that's where Drake London had so much success at USC. He played in the slot on 90% of his routes until his last year. Talked to his head coach, Clay Helton, before he got fired there at USC. And he said, I move him to the outside because he wants to, but his best role is the slot. And I think that's another guy. Like he's not that similar to Burks and that you're not going to ask him to win down the football field. People who make comparisons to Mike Evans are simply not turning on the tape. He wants to win in the you know nine to 15 yard range. He's not going to be a guy that wins the goal ball and wins the streaks because he doesn't have the top speed. There is a reason he is not testing before the draft, right? And I think he's a very similar athletically to Michael Thomas and should be used very similar to what Michael Thomas and how he was used at New in New Orleans. And I think mm -hmm. it's because he dominates at the short and intermediate level, uses his frame so well, catches everything you throw his way and can add actually break tackles and make plays after the catch. I think teams that covet that skill set and already have burners on the outside will look at London. That's why I think the Jets are a good landing spot for him. Because they got Elijah Moore. Not at 10. Not, not at, at 10. 10. Maybe not at 10. But I, I do think the Jets are a good landing spot for him. Not the Chargers, right? Not the Saints. I think that might be a bit redundant in their offense. But teams that already have speed and are looking for sure-handedness, yak ability, and bigger size for the red zone, I think that's where London ends up. Interesting. You say the Jets. I, I'm obsessed with getting Garrett Wilson in there at 10. I, I think he makes all the sense of the world. You know, Jets have Berrios. They got Elijah Moore. I, I, neither of those guys are outside. I think Corey Davis is a good two. Do you think Garrett Wilson could be a one? I think so. I, I like Garrett Wilson a lot. I think he is Emmanuel Sanders to me. That's the comp I have. Ooh, I think in his, okay. in his peak, I think he can be Emmanuel Sanders. The reason... You have concerns with Wilson as the frame, right? Can he work off press? I think he did that an okay job at that at Ohio State, but he's got to clean up his feet. He's got what I call inefficient feet, right? He dances too much. He'll he'll throw some foot fire and freelance more than maybe a Chris Olave will. And you clean that up. And he's going to be more efficient as a route runner. He's going to create more effortless separation. Right now, he's kind of got the Judy feet, you know, where you're just doing so much at the stem and doing <laughs> so much at the release that oftentimes because he's so dynamic and so quick. It works, but in the NFL, you'll get caught up with that foot fire, right? Sometimes that'll eat you up. So I do think that he's going to get a lot better in the NFL. I think Olave, I'm a huge fan of Olave, but Wilson also a top five receiver for me. All right, we'll wrap up with the quarterbacks. And Austin, I think this part of the reason that there's not as much juice around this draft is the quarter, the lack of quarterbacks. It's like Malik Willis played at Liberty. Everybody thinks he's still at least a year away from competing. And then after that, it's like, who do you like? Like Matt Corral, Kenny Pickett, who's a one-year wonder? I I don't know, man. Can you talk yourself into a quarterback going in the top 10? No, I, I don't yeah, think so. I think right now Malik Willis is minus 130 to go outside the top 10. Like, I think it's likely he falls outside the top 10. And if he does, you know, one of the trades I foresee happening is if he falls outside the top 10, I think the Steelers will be on the phone 
looking at Washington to come up to 11, looking at Minnesota to come up to 12. They are going to look to come up if he falls outside the top 10. If they don't want to trade into the top 10. That's going to cost too much. It's going to cost future first rounders. But if he falls outside, you can get away with just trading that 20th pick and maybe a second and a third to well, go wait, up. And wait, get wait, wait a sec. Why is the difference? Like, again, Jets at 10, Washington at 11. Why, why is there so much more draft capital at 10 versus 11? I, I guess the, if the Jets are looking to trade down, 10's okay. Nine, it starts to just get richer and richer as you get into the top 10 when you look at yep. trade value charts and all that stuff. I think the pick value for 11 is 12.50. The pick value for 20 is 8.50. If they trade their second rounder at 52, that gets them in the ballpark. Then you add in a future third, and I think that's enough to go up to 11. And then it just gets easier and easier as you go down. I think trading inside the top 10, especially as teams know you're coming up for a quarterback, sometimes they could ask for a King's ransom. We've seen that you know, with Pittsburgh going up for Trey Lance last year, trade two future first and all that stuff. Steelers like Malik Willis a lot. They have not made that a secret, yeah. right? And I think if he falls outside the top 10, they'll go get him. And to speak to this quarterback class as a whole, and you mentioned why this draft is maybe a little bit lower. I think the biggest reason is not just quarterback, but so many of the priority positions, there isn't a consensus one, a guy that's going to change a franchise, right? There's no consensus wide receiver one. Some people like London, some people like Willis or Wilson, some people like James Williams. There's not even a consensus edge one. Some people like Hutch, some people like Walker. And then you look at offensive tackle. Is it Cross? Is it Aquanu? Oh, yeah. And then quarterback, no one knows what they're going to do, right? P people like Willis, people like Pickett. I like Howell a lot. I like Ritter too. And you, you like Howell, so you're the one, huh? You like <laughs> Sam Howell. So Sam Howell in 2020 was the most. No, I don't hate him. Just to be clear, <laughs> Sam Howell in 2020 was the most accurate quarterback in all of college football. One of the highest graded as well. Had Deami Brown, Daz Newsome, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, and an offense that really leaned into his arm, and and it was the vertical passing offense where he had a lot of success. 2021, he loses all four of those players. They yeah. changed the offense entirely. Runs RPOs on 40. 6% of his offense, and he leads the power five and broken tackles at the quarterback position. He's rare. I don't know why he's getting doubted. I don't think the gap between him and Willis is that vast. If you like Willis in the top 10, you should be looking at Sam Howell in round two, because I do think that there's a lot of value there. Now, for quarterback, I like Willis. I like Ritter. I think it's not an underwhelming class. It's an unpolished class. They all have tools. They all have traits that you can bet on, but Willis still needs work as a processor. He's also wildly inaccurate. Howell, very similar. Ritter, probably the best processor in this class, wildly inaccurate, also very th thin frame. Kenny Pickett, most accurate quarterback in this class, doesn't have the arm talent. You also have to have concerns with the ball security as the ball gets bigger in the NFL with the hand size stuff. Um, can we go back to Howell for a sec? So he, he was talked about a ton during, um, you know, last season, obviously when he was good, mm -hmm. not this past season, but two seasons ago. And in the offseason, oh, could he go number one, you know, and then now there's really zero buzz about him. It's all on the Desmond Ritter and Willis. Is this by design? Do you think there's a chance that there's a couple teams that love Howell and they just don't want other people on the scent? And maybe that's why Howell's not getting the buzz. I, I think there's a chance, right? I also think that it's purposeful that he's not getting talked about a ton and the little right. media I've seen about him. It comes again from these unnamed sources saying he's not an alpha and doesn't command a huddle or some stuff like that, that I just disagree with. I think that stuff coming from unnamed sources, all that stuff. The reason I think he's getting doubted is just to drop off from 2020 to 2021. And it's like, Oh, can he only work, you know, when the supporting cast is ideal, but what, what people aren't doing enough <laughs> of is looking at, how well he still performed in 2021, which was like objectively one of the worst North Carolina offensive lines we've seen in a long time, a bad receiving core with a ton of inexperience and both their starting running backs gone. And he's still, again, graded okay. You saw some of the high-end throws on his tape. The accuracy was more concerning last year than it was in 2020. But still, I still think, you know, in a, in a class where you're betting on traits, 
really good arm, solid athleticism, can break tackles. And he's literally like the same size as Malik Willis, like six foot, 220. Like he's like a very similar build to Willis. He's not the athlete that Willis is, obviously, but he's also got a pretty good arm. It's not Willis's arm, but it's good enough. I feel like every year we do this, like, oh, next year's quarterbacks are going to be ridiculous. <laughs> oh, it's so loaded at the top. And it's right now, it's, you know, Bryce Young and the kid from Ohio State. Everybody loves them, everyone. Do you think that we'll see somebody bubble up and those two, one of those two guys or both drop a little bit? Again, this is a year in advance, but any thoughts on that? I, I am huge. I'm, I'm really big on, on Stroud, the CJ Stroud, the Ohio State kid, and then also Bryce Young. If Bryce Young is going to fall, it's because he's tiny, like really right. small. He's really short, and that'll show up. CJ Stroud was not super accurate at the start of this year, but I thought he developed over the course. Oh, yeah. And another player that I really like that I think is going to be in, in, in the conversation with those top three is the Kentucky QB. Will Levis has a really good arm, really good processor. I think this next year's quarterback class is better than this year's. And even last year when we were talking about Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson, I said before that draft, next year's quarterback class stinks. Like there's not a lot of talent. These guys, like, the, the, there's only guys you're even considering is probably Spencer Rattler and Spencer Rattler fell off a cliff. So Jeez, I, I was, yeah. I was not preaching that next year's quarterback class was going to be good. And now we're in it. Right. And now we're not, we might not see more than two guys come off the board in the first round. Yeah. It's funny. You mentioned Rattler. I totally had forgotten about him. He was supposed to be can't miss. Now I think he's transferred. I don't even know off the top of my head where he transferred to South Carolina, uh, South Carolina. That's right. The other one was, Again, some of these quarterback coaches, it's like a cottage industry out here in L.A. And I know a guy who was working with JT Daniels, and he kept telling me, Jason, JT Daniels is going to crush. He's going to be so dominant. I'm, this guy's going to be in the mix for the number one pick next year. JT Daniels did not see the field, really. He got hurt. Then he got upstaged, and now he transferred again, did he not? Yeah, West Virginia. Yeah, West Virginia. Like, It's the most difficult position by a mile mm -hmm. to predict. Even if you're working with these guys, right? No, and I think those. I, I talked to a lot of. You know, I think uh, Jordan Palmer does some of that, right? Jordan Palmer does a lot of that. Yep. You talk to those guys, and like every quarterback that coach is going to be awesome. You know, and I think, and I, I don't think that's no slight towards Palmer. I think it's just you. You are working with legitimate talents. It's about putting it all together. And with Rattler, he was the favorite to be the number one overall pick. You know, before the season started, and obviously fell off, and you know, all that stuff happened in Oklahoma with Caleb Williams, Lincoln Riley, etc. I, I do think it's a difficult position to project. Uh, in terms of having like success, I think you never want to be early on a quarterback, right? But you know, even going back to JT Daniels, really inaccurate the season before he was getting hyped up. PFF was high, not high on him at all, and you saw that kind of like play its course. The one I didn't see coming is Rattler, but you even go back to the first few games of last year, the same concerns were on his tape. He just freelances too much, and you know, arm talent's there, the accuracy's there, but he just doesn't he just doesn't do the things you need him to do inside a structure, and that's a big reason why Lincoln. Riley was frustrated with him and why he got benched. Like, and I think in South Carolina, Shane Beamer, one of my favorite, you know, young and up and coming coaches in the, in college football, hopefully can get, put him in a position where he's throwing inside of structure, reading concepts one to two, and not just like bailing out of the pocket and trying to freelance this stuff out. I, I would agree totally. And do you think we'll wrap up on this one? Austin. Do you think the NIL stuff gets in these kids heads at all? Because, you know, Rattler was getting a ton of money. <laughs> then there's the pressure on always the favorite to be the number one pick. And then kind of broke down and did not handle all that stuff well. And now he's like, I got to transfer. 
I'm not sure. Is NIL, is that a factor for you at all, do you think? Anyone saying the NIL is not a factor in this is lying or doesn't know what they're talking about. This is 100% a factor. And for good reason, right? You're getting a lot of money. Like there are new pressures on like 18, 19, 20 year old kids. And uh, it's it's not a slight, you know, a knock on Rattler and how he's handling some of that stuff. I think there's other pieces of the puzzle as well, but the NIL is definitely going to affect how kids are approaching some of these things, right? It could give people egos. So one of the things Jim Harbaugh told me in the Aiden Hutchinson podcast, Podcast. It's like one of the biggest things you need to avoid when you get in the NFL is getting a big head and letting the money you know, affect your ego because yeah. it'll hurt you. It'll kill you. These players, like it'll kill you. And I think that's now happening to players at a much, much, much younger age. And it's very difficult to handle that stuff. And I think since it's so new, there probably aren't coaches and aren't people in those buildings yet that are able to support those kids through some of those kind of new challenges. Right. I'm not saying that's all what Rattler happened. You know, that's all what happened to Rattler, but it's affecting probably every kid on different levels. Yeah, the other thing with that is, you know, these NBA guys who come out after one year and are 19 years old getting that rookie deal and a ton of money, you're on your own, right? You, like, you, you sink or swim, you're with the team, you're not practicing, you're not with your family. These college kids are around other poor college kids, and all of a sudden, they've got $500,000. <laughs> and it's like, your offensive linemen have nothing, they're protecting you. It, it's just a weird dynamic. I, I, I mean, this is early on this. I don't, it, it's going to take a while, right, Austin? At least a decade. It's going mean, to take so, some time. Yeah, with social media and phones, we're now seeing the impact on kids. And it's like, holy cow, this is awful for kids. Well, I'm not saying the NIL is awful because I want the guys to get money. But there's a lot to be figured out here. These guys are essentially guinea pigs, right? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's awful either. I want to be clear that I like 100% support the NIL. I think the kids deserve to maximize their value as early as they can. If they're that valuable, they should be getting it. I just because it's not awful doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You know, it's going to be very difficult. Like it's going to be it's difficult to handle that much money. Even if I got handed a $500,000 today, I would struggle to see where I'm spending that. Right? I think it's it's a difficult situation in a situation that's very new. And new situations are obviously difficult and will take some time. I think. Teams will be smart, though, to fit their coaching staffs and, and, and fit their administration with you know, financial advisors and people that can help these kids out when they are getting these big lump sums, right, and are able to handle some of that, some of that pressure and all that stuff. And I think it even goes beyond the NIL. It's social media. It's yeah. you can see the odds for you to throw two picks this game on online. Like you can see so much now. I've had conversations with. I don't remember who I was talking to. It was uh, the NC State running back Bam Knight. It's like you know going to some of these games, you're like a forty point dog. How does that affect the locker room? Like what what's going on there? And it's like you we'd be lying if we say we didn't see it, right? I think we have to stop ignoring that and then kind of understanding it and 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 letting it fuel you and all that kind of stuff. But there's so much going on with social media. Then you factor in the NIL. It's pressures that you know. 10, 15 years ago, we just didn't have. Yeah. All right. He is Austin Gale. Follow him on uh, social media, PFF Austin Gale. Director of content, man. That's a pretty big title. Congratulations, big one, yeah. dude. Thanks. Yeah, Appreciate Austin, it. keep up the good work. Great stuff on the draft, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see... See what music does to people. 
it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Carol G. Juan Gabriel. Christina Aguilera. What do these three have in common? You mean apart from impeccable style, chart-topping canciones, and drama? Facts, yes, all of the above are correct. But most importantly, they're some of the biggest Latin icons in the world. And they're just a few of the game-changing Latin stars we're covering in Becoming an Icon Season 2. Listen to Becoming an Icon on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.